Good morning. Glad to see you all this morning. I don't know if you noticed during worship, um, the enemy does not like us to engage with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Did you know that? Uh, and I don't know if you noticed during worship, um, the enemy was keeping many of us from really encountering the Lord this morning. Did you, did you sense that? Even as we're singing a song like, the battle belongs to you, the enemy is whispering in ears, yeah, but. Yeah, but what about her? Yeah, but, but what about that situation? And the enemy's only power over you is lies in Christ. So we have to take responsibility for the lies that I believe <laughs> versus the truth that I hold on to in Christ. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? And the reason I'm saying this is because I sense that the enemy is continuing to speak to some of you right now. So let me pray. Jesus, we come to you. We acknowledge that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the creator of all things and you are the redeemer of all things. And by your blood on the cross, you have provided access and ransom for people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. And we acknowledge you, Jesus, as Lord here in this place. And we invite you to come and sit down and rule here at MCC. And I come against any work of the enemy this morning to whisper into our ears, but did God really say? We command that to cease now in Jesus' name. You have no place here. We command you to leave and to not speak. Holy Spirit, I ask that you will come, that you will give fresh ears, fresh eyes to hear and see Jesus this morning. Your word says to resist the enemy and he will flee. And so we resist now, this morning. And we command you to flee. So Jesus, we honor you. Yes, Abba, we love you. Yes. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. The triune God, yes. three in one. Yes. Come. Yes. Come. Yes. Come and speak to your children. Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Hmm. Hmm. Well, good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Jamie Moore. I serve as one of the elders and pastors here at MCC, and we're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you, I'm looking at some people that I'm really glad to see that are here this morning. 
We're very, very glad that you're here. We're continuing into our series on spiritual gifts, and we're talking this morning about the gift of exhortation. So if you would turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, we're going to be talking about the gift, the spiritual gift of exhortation. Now, exhortation is a funny word because we don't use it that often. You know what I'm saying? Like, when was the last time you, like, at work, you're like, I would like to experience some exhortation right now, right? It's not, it's not a word that we use, exhortation. But it's funny, on this day, this Super Bowl Sunday, this uh, particular day where the Cincinnati Bengals are going to be playing the Los Angeles Rams, here this evening, 6-ish p.m., there's going to be a lot of exhortation going on today. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Zach Taylor, Sean McVay, they're going to be exhorting their players before the game. You know, halftime is going to be a lot of exhortation. Are y'all hearing me this morning? There's going to be a lot of spirited speech. There's a lot of motivational, inspirational speech. There's going to be a lot of Bengal fans that are going to be exhorting the offensive line, just block Von Miller, just block Aaron Donald, just let Burrow survive the game. There's going to be a lot of exhortation watching the screen. Are you all hearing me? There's going to be a lot of spirited, inspired speech. The world and, and our culture understands exhortation, even if we don't use that word very often. For instance, every great movie has a scene in it where a character looks at a crowd of maybe warriors before a major battle. And what does that character do? Maybe he's on a horse and he begins to run with this horse back and forth. And what does he begin to say? He begins to speak in a way that inspires the army to go, right? Or how about any Denzel Washington movie? It's almost a joke. If you're watching a Denzel Washington movie, there will be a scene where Denzel looks at the screen or he looks at the character and he begins to preach and exhort. And the more enunciation, the better. See, we know what exhortation is because we can feel it when it happens. Even if the word exhortation is not familiar in our vocabulary. The big idea for this morning is to talk about this gift because it is a spiritual gift. The New English Bible calls it the gift of stirring speech. When you are encountering the gift of exhortation, what you experience is a stirring by the Spirit of God. And that exhortation is also experienced in two different ways. This is the big idea of the message, and then we're going to get into it. Exhortation is experienced, biblically speaking, in two different ways. Number one, it is experienced by an urgent appeal to ethical behavior also called the challenge of repenting and believing the word. Okay? That's one way that it's experienced, this gift of exhortation. You experience it as a challenge to your own ethical behavior. You begin to experience, oh, my behavior is not in line with the word. I need to change my thinking and do something different. 
That's the first way that the gift of exhortation is experienced. The second and very, in some ways, very different exhortation is experienced as comfort and consolation and encouragement. And it produces hope, produces hope in us. Now, it's interesting that a gift, a spiritual gift, can have two seemingly different responses. Isn't that interesting? And by the way, I'm not just making this up. This is in the biblical text. The gift of exhortation sometimes is experienced as challenge, and sometimes it is experienced as invitation. It is warm and comforting and encouraging, and sometimes it is challenging and biting and calls us to repentance. So we're going to look at that gift and look at those two different ways that exhortation is experienced. And we're going to begin with Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Paul actually executes an exhortation right here in Romans 12. Romans 12, verses 1 to 8. Paul writes this. He says, I appeal. Everyone say appeal. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul is not playing in these verses right here. He is not playing. This isn't a suggestion. This is not a, if you think about it, if you would like to, if you get around to it. No, Paul says, I appeal. Oh, by the way, that word appeal is the same word for exhortation later in the passage. That's literally, I exhort you, church. I exhort you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, and he says to do this, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And he gives two imperatives, a negative imperative and a positive imperative in verse 2. He says, do not, this is the negative imperative, do not, don't do it, do not be conformed to this world. The, world conf- the word conformed means to be passively molded in the shape of the world. He says, I'm exhorting you, I'm appealing to you, do not be passively molded to the shape of the world. When Jess and I uh, were in Texas, we were serving in youth ministry, and we had a Halloween party. And in this Halloween party, we were coming up with all kinds of crazy fun things that took a lot of time that would be super fun. Like, for instance, taking grapes and peeling them and putting them in a bowl of gooey stuff and having people put their hands in there so it felt like eyeballs. You know what I'm talking about? One of the things that we did, we were at Walmart and we found a jello mold. You know what I'm talking about? Those jello molds? I guess you could do it for ice, ice too, but it was a giant jello mold of a brain. So it had all the weird folds. You know what I'm talking about? And then we poured this like milky gray jello into the brain mold. And we've, we cooled that thing and then we popped it out and we got this jiggly brain with the folds sitting on the table. That verb, do not be conformed, 
Do not be molded by the world. Do not be shaped. Do not allow yourself to be poured into the way the world thinks life should be so that you get formed to look like the world. Are you all hearing me? It says, do not. <laughs> See, there's an urgency in exhortation. It says, do not be conformed to this world. Instead, be transformed. That is, and it's passive. It's fascinating. Both these verbs are passive imperatives, which means we are to allow something to be done to us. If, you are, if you're passive with the world, the world will shape you. If you yield and are passive to the Lord, he will shape you. <laughs> are are y'all hearing me this morning? Allow yourself to be transformed by the renewal, the, be make, the, the making new of your mind, your thinking, your attitudes, your desires. Paul, the reason I'm taking time here is Paul is executing the gift that he talks about later in the, in the verses. He's executing it in verses 1 and 2. He is exhorting. Let's continue. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think. Everyone say think. Of himself more highly than he ought to think. Everybody say think. But to think. Everybody say think. With sober judgment. Oh, by the way, that's a form of the word think. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Four times Paul uses the word think or a version of the word think in verse 3. Do you think the mind's important? For as in, I, I could preach a whole message on that, but I got to keep going. It's not even, that's bonus. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one another. So having gifts that differ according to the grace that has been given to us, let us use these gifts. If prophecy, the gift of prophecy, if we're using that gift, we're to use it in proportion to our faith. We looked at that gift Several weeks ago. Verse 7, if service in our serving. Dennis looked at that this last week. The one who teaches in his teaching. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. And then the gift that we're looking at today, verse 8, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So verse 8, the gift is the gift of exhortation. It is an urgent appeal to ethical behavior that submits itself to the Word of God. And it is with spirited speech. Did you notice that the gift of teaching is differentiated from the gift of exhortation? Did you notice that in the text? And it's led some to say that there's a difference between teaching and preaching which I'm not going to press that. But there is a difference between the gift of teaching and the gift of exhortation. I think one of the great gifts, you know, it's Black History Month. One of the great gifts to the North American church is the African-American preacher. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm, I know I'm speaking in generalities here, but in, in general, the Caucasian preacher is more of a teacher. <laughs> 
Are y'all hearing the differentiation that I'm trying to make here? Where there is a spirited speech. A very Denzel Washingtonian (laughs) speech. A I have a dream speech. As opposed to just, here's what the text says, this is what it says, this is, now we know it, good. Exhortation. So if you want to say it's preaching, fine. But I want to make sure that we see some distinction there. There are two different gifts, the gift of teaching and the gift of exhortation. Now, these are very, this is a very, very important gift. It's very important to the body. And we know that from all throughout Scripture. I just want to pick up a couple of passages. This is 1 Timothy 4, 13 to 15. Paul writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. He says, until I come. So Paul says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Now, isn't that interesting? Son, I've put you in charge here at Ephesus. Until I come back, this is what I want you to be focused on. I want you to be focused on publicly reading the word of God, exhorting the people, and teaching the people. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Of all the priorities. Interestingly, right after he says that, he says this. A passage we've been talking about almost every week. Do not neglect the spiritual gift that you have, Timothy, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. You see, spiritual gifts, we need to practice these gifts. That's why we've been doing that on Wednesday nights. That's why we've been doing that in small groups. Did you know that you can get better at teaching? That you can get better at exhortation? You can get better at the gift of prophecy? You can get better at the gifts of tongues. Your vocabulary in tongues literally can grow. You can grow in the types of words and the number of words in your vocabulary in the gift of tongues. That's a fact. And Paul says to Timothy, practice these things. So important. I want to give a little confession. Sometimes people... Uh, sometimes people think that if you're an elder at a church, you got no problems. <laughs> or if you're the guy who preaches or teaches or leads in any way, you got no issues. And your life is unicorn, candy canes, and cotton candy all the time. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest, this past week was a stinky week for me. Emotionally, physically, it was a terrible week. I was in a terrible, rotten mood for most of the week. And I needed some exhortation. So I came Wednesday night. Let me just say, for, for those of you that have not come on Wednesday night or don't currently come on Wednesday night, I didn't want to come on Wednesday night. I didn't want to be here. I was in a bad mood. I didn't want to be singing songs. And you know what the father said to me? While I'm standing right back there. He said, why don't you grow up a little bit? 
And then we had two exhortations in, in this Wednesday night. Actually, we had more than that. One from Scott Hobart, one from Nosh. And I want, I'm going to have both of them share. Now, they don't, have to, they don't have to necessarily share exactly what they shared, but I want, us to, I want us to acknowledge the importance that each of us are entering into life in the MCC family day to day in a different place. And this is what we need from each other, is we need a community that is speaking inspired exhortation and speech to one another. So I'm going to invite Scott, oh, Scott Hobart to come and share, looking strong in a tie, a jacket. There you go, buddy. Here we go. As many of you know, I work at Procter & Gamble. And one of my responsibilities is I lead a team of regional managers that are spread around the country. And in the last eight months, we have had incredible challenges on our team. Sonia Salisbury developed esophageal cancer with less than a 50% survival rate. Dean Bruss came to the team because my number one regional manager abruptly left the company. I had to plug Dean into that. He was trying to finish his old job. He started to start his new job. His mother-in-law died. He became the primary caregiver for his father who was dying of um, of cancer, and he had a mental breakdown at work and had to go on an emergency medical leave of absence for about four months. Maria Sampson retired, which is always a nice thing, but we chose not to replace her, mm. which means all that work goes to somebody else. Cindy Stegeman died. From the day that she was diagnosed with cancer to her death was less than four weeks. Mm. And then, oh, by the way, just to pepper some fun in, um, uh, the woman who is out of Texas uh, fell and severely sprained her ankle, putting away Christmas decorations mm. and could not travel and missed a very important meeting up in Chicago that actually was material to the results of our business. And then poor Lenny, he had a total knee replacement, so he was out of the business for a while. This is my team. And when we think about exhortation, it gets to the point where how do you, how do you lead a team like that, that is going through these things? Because there is not an um, actuarial chart in the country that would predict this much challenge for a team that small. Now, I've been a Christian since I've been 15 years old, and I try to lead as a Christian in the workplace. And the only way that I know to really bring comfort to people like this is to pray for them and to be very overt about praying for them. Hmm. And it's remarkable people that are going through unbelievable challenges who don't know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but they'll let you pray for them. Hmm. And we started to do that. Now, I'm a human and I'm under unbelievable pressure. Mm. And it starts at six o'clock in the morning, it goes until seven or eight o'clock at night, every day of the week. And even a lot of times on the weekends, it is this constant pressure. And I feel 
oftentimes being conformed to the world. So I tried as good as I could to go to the word, go to the scripture and say, Lord, how do I lead my team through these unbelievable challenges? So I started looking in scripture and I said, hey, where does it say in scripture to worry about it? And I'm looking for it. Couldn't find it. <laughs> and then I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think I read in the New Testament the stress over it. I couldn't find that either. <laughs> and then there was the one, I think it's from the Old Testament, that says, hey, you're smart, you'll figure it out. <laughs> well, I haven't figured it out. And then there's the good one, lose sleep over it. Heather likes that one. <laughs> Heather's my wife. <laughs> Drink this and you'll get liquid confidence. <laughs> it's got to be in the word someplace. Couldn't find it. Hey, buy this and things will change your life for the better. That didn't work either. Mm. Just give it time. This will go away. Things aren't as bad as you think they are. And suck it up. You don't have it so bad. Those are the lies of the devil. Don't conform to the world, as Jamie just said. That's what I was trying to do. But here's the amazing thing, and this is, the, this is what I'm exhorting you to do. You know where the Bible says, trust God? It says it everywhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everywhere. Trust God. Mm -hmm. Pray, pray, pray. Those that come on Wednesday night have been praying for Sonia Salisbury for the last almost year. Mm -hmm. From the time of the original diagnosis until today. Yeah. Tuesday morning, Sonia Salisbury is going to drive to Logan Airport in Boston and get on an airplane, and I'm having dinner with her in Tampa, Florida, Tuesday night. Awesome. She's not dying. She's getting healed, and she's back at work, and that's because of yeah. God. Yeah. And it's because of the prayers of a lot of people in this place who have never met her. Dean buried his dad on Monday. He put closure to that. He's back. He and his spouse are going to be in Dallas. They're going to start house hunting. We're going to get on with life. We haven't replaced Cindy yet, but there's some things brewing that the initial plan was not going to work, but God's got a better plan. Mm. So what I'm telling you guys is that the battle belongs to God. Yeah, yeah. And that in real life, every day, run-of-the-mill things that we deal with as human beings, God is in the middle of all of that. Yeah, yeah. And that's my exhortation to all of you today. Stay in the faith, stay in the faith, stay in the faith. So good. So, so good. So good. Yeah, I was standing back there in a bad mood on Wednesday night, having said some of the things that Scott literally read off. And I just heard from the Lord, this is what it feels like when the body is functioning. And this man was exhorting us. And I literally, I could feel discouragement lift from my heart. This is supernatural, spiritual stuff. This isn't just motivational speaking. It is spirit-inspired kingdom exhortation. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. This is a beautiful gift. For the body of Christ. Another way of this gift I mentioned was comfort and consolation. And did you notice that as Scott was speaking, you actually experienced a little bit of both, didn't you? 
that challenge of, man, sometimes I'm really not trusting the Lord. Sometimes, sometimes I am like <laughs> trying to do it in my own strength. So you felt that challenge, but then you also felt the encouragement and the hope that God is in control. And that's the second aspect that the Bible shows. It's the same word, and depending on context, so in Romans 12, and our translators have done a great job. In most of our modern translations, the translators have done a great job. It's the same word, but depending on the context, you'll, you'll read exhortation or you'll read encouragement. So the translators are doing a lot of that work for us, but I just want you to know that's the same gift at play. So here's some examples of this. This is the early church, Acts 15, verses 30 to 32. Judas and Silas are being sent from Antioch down uh, to, uh, or actually from Jerusalem up to Antioch to the Gentiles. So when they were sent off, they went to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they, Judas and Silas, read the letter. And when they had read it, the people rejoiced because of its encouragement. That's the word. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers and sisters with many words. Barnabas, who would travel with Paul, do you know what, what he was called? Son of encouragement. Same word. He clearly had this gift. Paul and Barnabas themselves, they're in uh, Antioch, Pisidia, I think. After they read... After the reading from the law and the prophets, they're in the synagogue. The rulers of the synagogue sent a message to Paul and Barnabas, and they said, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, then say it. The Corinthian church, talking about the gift of prophecy, says, On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement. That's this word. See, there's an overlap here. You know, the spiritual gifts... Uh, you can categorize them based off of 1 Peter 4. You can categorize all spiritual gifts as speaking gifts and serving gifts. So that's why we get so much overlap with the speaking gifts. Because the gift of prophecy and the gift of exhortation based off of 1 Corinthians 14 have overlap. Do you see what I'm saying? So when, when, someone's, when someone is using the gift of prophecy, the effect is the gift of exhortation, encouragement. Are you all seeing what I'm saying? So there's overlap Teaching. That's why I'm, I'm, I don't want to be too nitpicky, but there is, there's overlap, but there's also differences. Teaching, preaching, exhortation, prophecy, all of these speaking gifts at play. 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul writes, Therefore, encourage one another. That's that exhortation word. And build one another up, just as you are doing. We encourage you, admonish the idle, the idle in, in the sense of the people who are not working. That's what he means by idle. I-D-L-E encourage the faint-hearted. It's a command from Paul. To encourage the faint-hearted in your midst. And I just want to say about this particular one, and then I'm going to ask Naj to come and share. In fact, Naj, you come on up while I'm, while I'm talking. Come on, come on right over here. Um, our culture needs hope. Have y'all noticed this? Like, this is a significant gift for our culture right now. How many people get up in the morning and they have zero hope for that day? And imagine 
They come to work and they encounter a believer in Jesus with the gift of encouragement. You know someone who has the gift of encouragement? My sister. Yeah, absolutely. Now, share what you shared on Wednesday night. Okay. Um, Most of you know that my niece, Lynette, um, fell into a coma in November two weeks after giving birth. And if you don't know, now you know. Um, And she was diagnosed at Good Samaritan Hospital. They said that she had an aneurysm. But somewhere along the way, she was transferred to Christ, and they re-diagnosed her as having a brain stroke. And they started calling her a vegetable. And I said, no, 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 no. And they kept referring to her and and speaking over her as as if this was the final say. So I do a ministry called HUGS, which is an acronym for Helping Urban Girls Succeed. And our foundational scripture is Mark 5:41, which says, Talitha Kumai, translated as, I say to you, little girl, arise. So I began to pray this scripture over my niece every single day since November, every day. And I taught my family to pray this scripture. Some who are not believers, I said, just say it, just just say it, she'll hear you. So we began to pray this prayer over her and they decided that we're going to transfer to a nursing home because she's not getting any better. And they thought that would be her fate. But when she got to the nursing home, she was able to hold her child for the first time. They laid that baby on her and she took her hand and rubbed her baby's head. Mm. And from that moment, she began to come back. Her, uh, fa- the father of her child asked her one day to give him a kiss. And she looked at him and pushed her lips towards him. So she's responding now. So I wanted to see this for myself. I kept hearing these stories from the family. So I went over there one day last week, and as I was going, now this, I'm going to bring in another story because this is where the beauty of this miracle comes in at. As I'm standing in the nursing home, you couldn't get in unless you had a cold. So the girl that was coming in before me typed in the code, and she said, who are you? Who are you here to see? And I said, well, I'm here to see Lynette Foster. And she said, oh, I know her. She's across the hall from my brother. So this is my first visit. So it's about, it's about a, close to a 10-minute sign-in process. They take your temperature, ask you a million questions, type your information in, take your picture and all of this. She waited for me. And I'm wondering, why is she waiting on me? So as we're walking down this long corridor, she showed me my niece's room. And she, as she was st- telling me about her brother, Jeremy, she said, your niece is doing really well. Jeremy has the same diagnosis. They say he's a vegetable. So I'm, I'm processing all of this. And I'm thinking of visiting my niece and praying with her. So I had this visit with my niece. And she's mad at me because she keeps taking her trach out. And I keep slapping her hand down and she rolling her eyes at me and I'm just doing I said oh she's here she's getting ready they said I said she's back she's back now they tell us they're sending her home in April with 24-hour care I said nah God you brought her this far she's walking out of here with just the care of her family she's gonna be fine so I want y'all to believe that with me so after I had this beautiful visit with her I thought, Jeremy, God said, go over to Jeremy's room. So I went over to Jeremy's room. God is awesome. Do you know he's a miracle worker? Mm -hmm. 
God is a, he's a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. Yeah. Our God, that is who you are. So I'm telling you. So Amanda was the girl's name that I met at the front door. So I go over into her brother's room and she's there with her brother. And um, I said, do you mind if I pray over Jeremy? So Jeremy hasn't, they, they say he's a vegetable. He's sitting up, no movement at all. I touched his head and I said, I love you, brother, and began to pray. His eye jumped and moved in the corner of his lip. His sister screamed. She said, oh, my God. She said, Jeremy, do you hear her praying for you? And that's, he got that little bit of movement and it excited her and it excited me. So I prayed with Jeremy. I prayed with Amanda. And I said, um, I knew the answer to this question before I asked her, but I asked her. I said, where are your parents? She said, it's just me and my brother. My dad died when I was three and my brother was one and my mom left us. And so my grandmother raised her and raised us and now she's dead. And she said, it's just me and my brother. I said, well, do you have a church family? She said, yes, we're, we're both saved. We go to church in Norwood. I said, does anyone come to pray for your brother? She said, the pastor's been over a couple of times. I said, that's not good enough. We need to rally around this brother. And I said, Lazarus, I say to you, get up. And I said that to her brother. I said, you're going to get up, Jeremy. You're going to walk. You're going to come out of that. And his sister just crying. I said, give me your number. So I, I pray with her. And I, I called her since then, since that day. And been praying with her. And I, one side of me was saying, I don't need not one more thing to do. I have a bad habit of trying to be um, a messiah. I have a messiah complex. Pray for me. And so... Um, I, I, but I've, I've gotten better. I've gotten better. And I know that Jesus already saved the world and I don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I do take assignments from God. And Amanda, God gave her to me. It was an ordained meeting. And since he gave her to me, he gave her to you all too. So mm -hmm. I want you all to help me in praying for Jeremy and Amanda. And uh, Jeremy and Amanda could lose a lot, could use a lot of encouragement because they really are in this thing alone. But they're believers. So they're part of a big family. They're part of a big family. So would you all please pray for Jeremy and Amanda? And just like Lynette, I believe that God, he's no respect to person. What he did for one, he'll do for the other. He woke my niece up. Now, she's not walking and talking yet, but that's coming. Because they called her vegetable, and she's obviously not. She's responding to commands. She's doing these things, and they're thinking about sending her home. So they're calling Jeremy a vegetable. But see, they don't know any better. See, we, we, they don't know. They do the doctor <laughs> stuff. We do the God stuff. Okay? So, so we're going to pray for... Mm. Um, Jeremy and Amanda and we're going to exhort them in the spirit and I just want to uh, thank you all for loving me praying for me encouraging me and uh, let's continue to do this for one another amen 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 so healthy so good <clears throat> So I just want to give us some practical, very briefly, some practical suggestions. And then we're going to end with worship and coming to the table, Lord's Supper. Just some practical suggestions, just thinking about this gift. Let's say that you're sitting there and you're going, okay, well, 
I don't know if I have this gift. I mean, it's, it's commanded that we're to exhort one another and encourage one another. How would I go about doing something like this? So I just want to give some practical suggestions. Number one is this. Understand that exhortation, the, the, the challenging one, right? The speaking in truth and love kind of one. The one that's looking at a brother and, and speaking inspired speech that could be experienced as challenge and a call to repentance. If you're feeling from the Lord, I, I, I think I need to be, to be speaking this way. I want to encourage you to allow the ground and the foundation of what you say to be the gospel. Here's why. If I look at someone and I think that I'm exhorting them, but I do what Scott was writing down, those false statements, it's entirely possible you think you're exhorting someone, but you're just putting legalism on them. It's entirely possible. God says you, need to, you just need to do this, do this, do this. And we actually become Pharisees and legalists because we take weights and we put it on people. Are you all hearing me? Or, or we come at it with guilt and shame. And preachers are terrible at this. Well, if you were a good Christian, you would do this. If you were a good person, you would do this. The Bible says it, so you should just, just do it. Should, should, should. Christianity is the only religious system. It's the only religious system where salvation is not dependent on the activity and energy and obedience of the individual. Every other religious system is based on if you behave as a good person, you get to go to the good place or nirvana or whatever. But Christianity says God has come and has looked at us and said, actually, you can't do it, so I will come in your place to obey for you. I will come and live the life that you should have lived and you didn't. And then I will die on the cross for your sin. The Bible says that Jesus became your sin and my sin. And the wrath of God towards our sin was poured out on Jesus. And he was buried. And he was raised on the third day. And he says, why don't you come to me and I will exchange my righteousness for your sin. Only in Christianity do you have a God who says, you can't clean yourself up, so I have come to do it for you. Will you come to me? Jesus says, you can't come through anywhere else but right here through me, Jesus says. So when we start talking about exhortation, make sure the ground of what you say is based in the gospel. And it works like this. Rather than looking at someone and saying, you know what? You should stop speaking like that to your family member. You should. You should act like a Christian. Instead of saying that, you could share the gospel again. Do you know how loved you are in Christ? And that you get to, because of the love that has been shown to you, that you are a son or a daughter of the king, you get to speak like the king. And the way he speaks is with gentleness. And with love. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? <laughs> that we're grounding our exhortation in the good news of the gospel rather than pointing and saying you should and guilting and shaming people. I don't have time to continue with that, but I, I, I want to make sure that we say that. 
Second, second practical suggestion. Spend time listening to Jesus. Because Jesus is the greater, greatest exhorter there is. Jesus had some tough things to say to people when he was walking the earth, didn't he? <laughs> but he knew exactly what to say and when to say it. There was a yieldedness in Jesus' life to the working of the Father and the Spirit. So I want to encourage you. You want to grow in exhortation? Grow in listening to the way Jesus sounds. That includes reading the Word. includes listening prayer. It includes taking all of your circumstances and asking Jesus and the Holy Spirit to teach me in this circumstance. Okay? So learn exhortation from the greatest exhorter. Third practical suggestion. We have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said... He's another helper. And that helper word is associated with the exhortation word. Did you know that? Paraclete. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. So I want to encourage you. When you come across someone who is discouraged, I would ask the Holy Spirit, who is, he's called the comforter. And he's just like Jesus. I would ask, Holy Spirit, how would you like for me to encourage this person right now? And then I would begin to speak what he says. You may be at the gas station, maybe at the grocery store. There are people all around you that need encouragement. Not a motivational speech, spirit-inspired, gospel-centered encouragement. And fourthly and finally, when it comes to this issue of hope, I have found that when I am the least hopeful in a circumstance and I've lost hope, I've learned that it's not really like hope is something that you have and then you lose, but actually hope is grounded in my understanding of the glorious triune God. So that when I don't believe that God is good, I begin to lose hope. When I don't believe that God is glorious and is in charge of all things, I begin to lose hope. You see what I'm saying? So if you want to grow in hope, grow in a deeper understanding of the glorious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I'll read a passage that explains this, and then we're coming to the table. Romans 8. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those he, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I can't even read the rest of the passage. He just said, if the father has already given his son to die for you, which is the greatest of all gifts, why would he not also sustain you in the difficulties of your life? Those are easier than what he has done on the cross. That's what he just said. And when I forget that, I begin to think that I have to somehow make my own life work. He has already done the greatest thing in Christ. 
Why would he not also sustain you on Monday in that meeting that you're scared about? Are y'all hearing me this morning? He has already done the one thing you are infinitely in need of. Why would he not also sustain you next week? The table is a place of exhortation and encouragement. At the table, I am faced with the reality of my behavior. Does it line up with the scriptures? And have I received forgiveness in Christ? And at the table, I'm confronted with encouragement that the God who created me has died for me and is welcoming me to his family. So I encourage you, as you come to the table, we're going to worship one last song. As you come to the table, ask Jesus, what do I need here, Jesus? (laughs) Do I need exhortation from you or do I need encouragement from you? Do I need to be reminded again of the gospel good news? Or do I need to be reminded again of your glorious, infinite power to sustain me? Let's stand. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this gift. We thank you for the infinitely greater gift, which is Jesus, come. You, God, come to die for us. We thank you for this table. We thank you for the bread that symbolizes your body broken for us. We thank you for the cup symbolizing your blood shed for us, covering over our sin. We thank you that you are welcoming us to the table. So as we sing, as we come, as we partake, Holy Spirit, help us to see Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's worship him. The table is open.
down my pride Here meet me Heart laid open Needing more my Spirit broken again Still I hear your song And like the dawn Your grace is rising You made a way To make things new And like the dawn Your love is rising You made a way to make things new Capture my heart You dance over me Sing a new song Tells me I'm free Keep me there till the end of all my days Run to the we thank you. We thank you for this morning. I thank you for this family. I thank you for Scott. I thank you for Naj. I thank you for their words of exhortation and encouragement to us.
And I bless you, MCC. I bless you with a greater sense and awareness of the good news of Jesus. And I bless you with a deeper understanding of the glorious power and infinite love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit over your life. And I bless you with hope this week. And I bless you with words of hope for those around you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Church family, you are dismissed. Be at peace. Be at peace.